It's Monday, the 16th of December, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, what does Britain's historic election mean for France and the European Union? Europe has to become a more consistent, a more sovereign, a more united and democratic power. We built something very original during the past seven decades. But there is a new step forward to be organized. We'll examine how the EU is digesting last week's result. Plus, Stockholm's Photographiska Museum opens its new outpost in New York. And has the streaming age got our attention spans changing channels? I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. The result of last week's election here in the UK means that come the end of January 2020, Brexit is finally all but certain to be a done deal. So what does that mean for the country's relationship with France and President Macron, the de facto leader of the European Union? Monocle's Paul Osborne is speaking to the journalist Marie Bion. Paul. Ben, it seems it will take more than a weekend for Westminster to adjust to this new political reality. Labour suffered its worst election defeat in more than 80 years last week and the Conservatives returned to office under Boris Johnson with a majority big enough to give him extraordinary freedom to carve out a post-Brexit future for Britain in whatever direction he sees fit. But what does that mean for Britain's relationship with the EU and vice versa? Mahi, the focus in European capitals is now on the future trade relationship, something the UK wants hammered out in less than a year. The argument in the UK is that, well, it's not any trade deal because we really have a relationship. We just have to basically take what we have and pick what we don't want and change a few things here and there. It's way much easier than having just a blank paper. That may be true or maybe there will be so many differences that it will be even harder. The idea is that we don't know exactly yet what the UK and what the EU wants. January is going to be used by the EU and the, mem- and the EU27 to decide what kind of trade deal they want. So they don't know yet. They were starting to think about it at this EU summit last week. And, of course, the bigger now is what is Boris is going to do, of course. The idea is that the EU, what Macron said very clearly, is if Boris comes to Brussels and says, well, we don't want to change a lot of things, it's going to be quite easy, basically, to do the trade deal. But if he wants to uh, divert from the 11 playing field, if he wants to uh, have tariff-free and um, quarter-free trade deal, but still don't accept all the rules and regulations of the EU, that's going to be way more complicated because it's not going to be just about changing a few things on, on, on a piece of paper. It's going to be a political discussion, a political debate that's going to be you know, very strainful for the, uh, for the EU and for the relationship between the EU and the UK. So as long as we don't know what's going to happen, it's difficult to say if we're going to, to need an extension. Of course, what we're going to figure out is the ERG anymore, the very hard Brexiteers, and it's going to be able to go for perhaps what's a bit more natural to him, being more, you know, centre of the stage, you know, being softer. Will he go for a softer Brexit? Because he can now, we don't have to rely on this, on, on the hardcore. Or will he just basically go on being the kind of hard Brexit he was because it still has Dominic coming as his main councillor and all that. That's something that we're going to figure out in the, in, in the next few days. And that's something the EU is waiting to know with bated breath because that's going to be also how they're going to basically angle their strategy when they talk in January. Stockholm's blockbuster photography museum, Fotografiska, opened its latest outpost in a landmark Manhattan building at the weekend, even allowing patrons to enjoy a glass of wine or two as they wandered through the gallery. 
Monocle's Nick Moniz has the story. Nick, this wasn't just a treat on opening night, but first, before we get to that, for those who haven't been, what is Fotografiska? It's a, a photography museum. It sits right on the water, and they're doing up that entire waterfront just near Slussen Station in Stockholm. But it, the, the Fotografiska itself is one of the most iconic destinations in the city. It's a beautiful space. You've got beautiful windows looking out onto the water. And and for the first time, they're expanding beyond Stockholm, beyond this actual original building location. So they're opening up a new museum in New York in Manhattan, which is incredibly exciting. It is absolutely exciting. And the fact that a museum from Stockholm is expanding into a massive, massive metropolis like New York is really something to be said. But tell me about this new venue, because it's going to be quite different to what we might expect from a museum. Absolutely. I mean, for starters, New York, they've said, is the obvious expansion point for them. And, you know, you've got the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's, it's an iconic arts city. So, so to set up there was just a natural evolution for them. I guess what's significant about the new museum is that they... I guess they want to they want to change your experience of, of how you look and engage with art. They want it to be a little bit more homely, a little bit more relaxing. Uh, and and they're tackling that with both the interiors, they've got quite dark walls, a lot of a lot of natural light coming in from big floor to ceiling windows. And and it must be said this is all set within a restored heritage building. So the effect that they've created is is quite a domestic, I guess, environment. And and what they're also doing is they're encouraging patrons to, you know, grab a drink at the bar and the cafe, but don't be worried about just sitting and staying and enjoying that drink in the bar. Take it with you, wander through the gallery, sip on your wine, peruse the art, and I guess really make yourself comfortable at home. And, and when you think about it compared to, say, other other galleries, I just did a quick sort of a little bit of research into, you know, the Uffizi Gallery in, in Florence, definitely no alcoholic drinks in there. Uh, the Met, likewise. The Tate in London, no chance of bringing a drink in. And, and I think it's a valid concern, like they don't want people splashing alcohol on artworks, but I think the impression that I get is that the Fotografiska is treating us like adults and, and believing that we're going to be responsible and can enjoy the art and a cheeky tipple. Mm, absolutely. I mean, look, the Mona Lisa with a red wine stain over the face probably wouldn't carry the same degree of gravitas, but uh, as you say, it's good to be treated like an adult every now and then. <laughs> Nick Bernice, thank you. And finally today, our editorial team considers whether the age of information overload and everything on demand has got our attention spans switching stations. A confession. I saw Marriage Story in the cinema last week and got a bit bored. For much of the 137-minute-long netflix back drama, my friend was mesmerised while I was stifling yawns, in spite of the fact that Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are at the height of their powers. This has sparked some soul-searching. Is there something wrong with my attention span? It's a thought that's crossed my mind many times before, but on each occasion I got distracted by something shiny, so never lingered on it. Diminishing powers of concentration in the digital age have been the subject of countless studies, which have revealed things such as the average adult attention span was 12 seconds in 2000, which doesn't seem very long, but is now only eight. That's less than a goldfish. Meanwhile, Cal Newport, a US author and computer science professor, has argued that focus is the new IQ, insofar as it's the most important form of intelligence in the 21st century. Which begs the question, how do we improve our concentration? Google suggests meditation, exercise, hydration, 
chewing gum and drinking tea. I think a better idea is to ditch my phone or at least delete some apps. As I head to Australia for Christmas, I won't be TikToking, Snapchatting or Instagramming. Mm, stopping that last one might be a fib. I've armed myself with weighty books and downloaded shows that last 60 minutes per episode and require an investment, Succession, Pose and Watchmen. And if you see me at a Perth outdoor cinema falling asleep during The Irishman, the three-and-a-half-hour epic that is my new Everest, please shake me. That's all in today's programme. You can read and subscribe to our daily email bulletin at our website, monocle.com. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Tuesday.